So I'm assuming there are some children out in the Zoom worship. Is that correct? Oh, good. Hi. Good to see you. So I have a question for you. Have you ever come to the dinner table without washing your hands to eat your dinner? (laughs) Yeah. That happened um, a few times in my family. I had a younger brother who didn't like to wash his hands, and so every time he would come to dinner and wouldn't wash his hands, either my sister or I would say to my mom, Stephen didn't wash his hands before coming to the dinner table. And usually he would get into a little trouble, and but that's kind of what happens. And uh, what struck me was when we were talking as kids about washing our hands, it's probably because we had been playing around outside and gotten our hands dirty and things like that. But in Jesus' day, it was a whole different setting. Um, They had to wash their hands because hand washing was almost one of the only protections they had from germs and other diseases and things like that that were in society. They didn't have medicines, they didn't have preservatives, and they didn't have things like that. And so they would have to wash their hands. And so I always chuckle when I read this scripture and it says that the Pharisees were calling them out for having defiled the day. And I think back as a kid when we didn't wash our hands before eating, but it was a whole different setting for them. So for them, it was really their own health and life that they were taking care of. For us, it's probably good practice because you never know where your hands have been just prior to eating. But um, when when I read this scripture, I remember vividly the many times we would sit at table and tease my brother because he hadn't washed his hands and sometimes got him in trouble with mom. So let us pray. Well, God, we thank you for the gift that you give us in our being together. We thank you especially for our reminders of sort of responsibilities to one another and something even as simple as washing our hands before dinner can be a way of our expressing our appreciation to the person who cooked it and those people that made it possible for us to eat and to also just show respect to the people around us. We ask that you would give us the strength and courage to be your disciples in this day and in this world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. The technology of worship these days. Grace to you and peace from God our Heavenly Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you probably have already guessed what some of the sermon's going to be about today. 
with the beginning of the gospel and my comments to the young people on Zoom, I just want to remind everybody of that very first line of the gospel where the gospel writer Mark writes, Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. I, when I read this, I did think of uh, growing up in my family and my brother who was the youngest, um, that he would often come to the table without having washed his hands. And as kids, we would always remind him or tell mom or whatever. But when I think about what I, what I know about what I know about today, it's a different kind of dynamic that was happening in our family than what was happening in the gospel. I mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago about how, or I guess it was last week, how the, it, the church year is divided into two parts. The 26 first weeks are about the, the announcement of and then the birth of and the childhood and life and death and resurrection ascension of Jesus. And then the second 26 are instructions for us. So you may feel that my reflections today on the scripture are a bit kind of on the teachy side, but it's what kind of got called out in me as I was reading this to help us better understand when we read stuff like this in scripture, what's really going on. There were many times when I was in seminary that uh, when I was studying both Hebrew and Greek, that I really thought this is a gigantic waste of time. Not only did I have to learn Hebrew and Greek, they did not use the same alphabet that we do. And so I had to learn two completely new alphabets in order to just read. And it was like, wow, this is really a challenge. But one of the things that surfaced out of that is that I discovered some misconceptions that I had and that maybe people who were translating the scriptures way back in the uh, 16th and 17th century were also uncertain about. One of them I've already alluded to a couple weeks ago when I discovered that faith is not a noun, it's a verb. And that's fascinating because here I was, I had 22, 23 years of believing that faith was a noun, and then I all of a sudden discovered it was a verb. But it was a great discovery. Another one that I was absolutely astounded with, because um, I'm not sure how many of you have all gone through confirmation and had to memorize and all the things, and of course, one of the things everybody had to memorize was the Ten Commandments, was that what I had been learning was the Ten Commandments. The word which has been translated into commandments in Hebrew is actually teachings. And so one might say that Moses did not go up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and he didn't receive the Ten Commandments. He received ten teachings. 
And when I started thinking about that, I thought, wow, imagine when I was an eighth grader and ninth grader in confirmation, how different that would have been to have the pastor talk to me about these are teachings that God gave Moses so that the people would be, you know, more connected to God and more be able to relate to one another. And, and I thought, wow, 10 teachings. And then I started reading them differently. Um, in fact, I think, it, well, again, if you did confirmation in the Lutheran tradition, you had to learn the Lutheran, <laughs> Luther's uh, sort of small catechism, which starts out, thou shalt not, you know, and, and then he, every time, so it's like there was a real legalism about it. But one of the things that I was really appreciative of was that when I started learning about what was happening in the time that the 10 teachings were given to the people, they were going to be needing them really severely. They had been living in culture, in society, in Egypt, which was actually quite a well-developed society. And so there was a lot of built-in things that was good for them. And kind of like basic sanitation and how to prepare food and how to keep food and stuff like that. And here they are. They are now out in the desert. They're going to be there for 40 years. And they probably never, ever learned how to be in the desert for 40 years because they had always lived in a community. They needed to figure out how to stay healthy. And as we have learned a lot, like from this whole COVID thing, things like simply wearing a mask, keeping a certain distance and washing your hands can be keeping you healthy. Well, if we didn't think about that, we wouldn't even think about wearing a mask or keeping distance or washing our hands, and we would probably have COVID. And we know where COVID takes people, sometimes into the intensive care unit, sometimes for months, sometimes they die, sometimes when they're discharged, they can't function very well. So here is the teachings that come and the people were, going, were beginning to learn how to be in this desert setting because they needed to. It was basic salvation of life, not of soul. One of the things that I've always been fascinated by is that just as, um, well, I'm sorry if you if you don't if you're bugged by the 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 mask mandates and stuff like that. I'm going to use it a couple times as an example, but because it's so clear day to day life of happening here, of how we are told, you know, it would really be good for you to wear a mask, and then people kind of have a knee jerk reaction. They say, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to do anything I want. And that's kind of human nature. And so um, one of the things that happened then in the, in the uh, Hebrews society was that the, these teachings turned into laws. 
and they became there became violations of laws and punishments for laws and how do you write something that you have wronged and when i think back at it probably that was smart 3500 years ago to take the 10 teachings and turn them into sort of laws but if you start thinking about how that's kind of a human nature, they had 10 um, teachings and that meant doing a lot of interpretation. So I have a, an assignment for you to, if you want to. Sometime, I don't know if there's Bibles in the pew, but when you get home, check out your Bible, go to the Exodus and notice how many how much of a page the actual Ten Commandments fill. Half a page. <laughs> then look into Leviticus, which is the book that follows the Exodus. And Leviticus then is the statement of all of the laws and regulations and the punishments that come from, if you saw the, the teachings as law that had to be followed, 32 pages of laws and, and um, punishments and ways to get back into good graces. And it's like, it's sort of human nature took over. Nobody wanted to figure out what does it mean to be honor my mom and my dad? What does it mean to love God, love God with heart, soul, strength, and mind? And so various people, various leaders of the church and our community, they started writing these laws. And then the laws, if they were broken, you had to pay for it. And you would often pay with being kicked out of society because you had violated a law that was, well, it was intended originally for your safety and the safety of people around you. But they decided, well, if you're not going to be safe with, with us together, I'm gonna, we're gonna kick you out of society. And here's the way you get back in. So I'm sharing this with you because I think it's fascinating that, that human nature does not like to have to think about what we're supposed to do. We kind of like to be told or we have a knee-jerk reaction if somebody tells us to do something we don't like, then we just react, as opposed to trying to figure it out. And one of the things that I have learned, and I, I know having studied some of the history of what was going on, is like the Israelites did not have refrigeration. They did not have penicillin. They did not have antibiotics. They did not have preservatives. And they learned, for example, that eating pork was one of the worst things, especially if it was not just recently butchered because trichinosis really quickly, and that would kill you. Or they found that eating shellfish also had a, a really strong potential of killing you or you getting sick from them just because of what they do in the ocean. 
And they also learned that they had better wash their pots and pans very thoroughly because if you don't, germs can grow and they can be attacking you. So when this all began, these teachings, which then turned into laws, were pretty helpful because it helped people stay safe and not unnecessarily get sick or get cause other people to get sick. But that's part of human nature's frustra- uh, that I sometimes am frustrated with is that we find it so easy to say, tell me what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it. As opposed to saying, well, let me think about it and I'll figure out how it would be best for me to do it. I'm glad you told me. So a lot of what is in the scripture today is really talking about all of that in James and in Deuteronomy and in the gospel. They're all talking about the same thing. They're talking about um, having one's actions be a reflection of your belief and love of God. And that they're, they're inviting us all to take an intense per- personal responsibility in determining how am I going to do that, as opposed to which law shall I follow. I don't know if you knew this or not, but I was amazed one of my rabbi friends said that, there, that in Leviticus there are 666 laws that must be fulfilled and failure to fulfill them results in being separated from God. And that if you want to be reunited in your relationship with God, you have to pay some kind of a penalty and do some kind of a work to get yourself in good graces because of these 666 laws. Now, Jesus came to challenge them. Notice the, how it ends um, in the gospel that I read for today. Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile. But it's what comes out that can defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, and so on. All these come from within, and they defile a person. So if we know the laws and the rules, it means that we'll probably be pretty good functioning in society and with other people. But what Jesus was inviting the disciples and what James was also inviting us is that it's our ability to care for other people. And I think that's part of what makes Christianity so challenging for us today. Uh, We would probably like to have someone tell us what to do, but we are really invited to figure that out for ourselves. We've been given some clear generalizations 
And we need to come up with what does that look like for me today in this society. We're invited to love God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and our neighbor as ourself. We're invited to expand our definition of neighbor to mean any person that we know or bump into along the way. We're invited to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the sick, visit those in prison. And then that's where the last line of scripture comes. We're also reminded by Jesus that it's what comes out of our mouth that can glorify God or defile us. And so we are encouraged to choose what and how to speak and what's the impact going to be on the world around us. Amen.